Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Antricia Moorings. I'm so glad you're here today. I love how sometimes when I'm listening to music, a song lyric will pop out to me and just be running through my head. That happened to me this week. I was listening to this song called Into the Glorious by Christy Knuckles, and a song lyric just jumped out to me, and I had to rewind that part of the song and listen to it again because I just felt like the Lord was trying to say something to me through this song. So the line that popped out to me was, I was made for rest in a world that's striving to lie down in the fields of green. And it was that part I was made for rest that really just struck me. And so I had a total different subject for this week's podcast. And I scrapped it because I felt like I really needed to think about this idea of being created for rest. And so I wanted to share with you some of the insight that I got as I studied this. So we know that God has built rest into our biological makeup. We have to go to sleep every day. It's just part of how we're made as human beings. We have to stop and rest our bodies and our minds. And God modeled rest for us during creation. God rested after he created the world. This shows us that his creative work was complete and that he was now ruling over it. So we have this picture of God creating and working and getting his hands dirty, so to speak, as he creates the world and mankind. And then he sits and rests enthroned on his creation. And he didn't design us to keep working and working because he didn't. He didn't design us to strive all the time. Rest is a divine gift from God. And so we need to see it that way. And I've struggled in this area, seeing rest as a divine gift. We can often think that rest is a form of laziness or that we could be filling up that time with doing something useful, getting some things ticked off of our to-do list. But truly God wants us to learn how to rest. So I want to take a look at Hebrews chapter four, starting at verse number nine, it says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So let me give you a little context here. So this scripture is talking about how God provided rest for the Israelites as they were brought into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And for that wilderness generation, rest was not just this theological metaphor. It was a representation of an end to the wandering that they had lived through for 40 years that made up their life after the exodus. And so this rest was a picture of them finding peace. So once God's people had already entered into Canaan, the promise of rest still remained. So rest for that wilderness generation, like I said, referred to the promised land, Canaan. And in Canaan, the Israelites would be given rest from their enemies and would no longer have to wander. So then... Their remains of Sabbath rest suggest that 
the Israelites rest after taking this promised land was not their ultimate or final rest. The concept of rest is an analogy for future salvation. So this word Sabbath, the Greek word used here is sabbatismos, and it points to the celebratory nature of rest. And so this image is pointing to the description of the festal gathering that's noted in Hebrews 12 and 22. Christian believers have come to a heavenly Jerusalem on Mount Zion through Jesus's death on the cross. And this mountain is a celebration of the Holy One who is attended to by angels, believers, and righteous people. So we're called to enter into that rest. And this is an encouragement for us as believers that our lives should be characterized by a perseverance. And those who enter God's rest will take part in the great Sabbath celebration at God's throne when Jesus returns. But we shouldn't just think of rest as a future rest, something yet to come that's not yet attained. Sabbath rest is not just something that happens post-revelation. This Sabbath celebration is not just for our life in heaven and not just something that we experience when we die. The experience of Sabbath rest points to a present rest. It's a reality for those of us who have believed we are entering into the rest, and it points us to a future rest or reality of rest as well. So we should note that there's a physical aspect to our Sabbath keeping. It's not a thing of the past. Instead, our Sabbath rest is us deliberately ceasing from works in honor of God's rest at creation. And it shows that we have faith in the salvation that was provided by Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, 3 through 11 tells us that physical Sabbath rest, this word sabbatismos in the Greek is the weekly outward show of the inner experience of the spiritual rest where the final future rest is experienced already today, right now. And this idea of rest holds a twofold meaning that God designed to circle us back to his work at creation and also to point us back to the work that he did in redemption for our souls. So to understand the way that God designed the Sabbath day at creation, we have to see what he meant for us to think about when we observed it. So we have to look at the words bless and declare holy, which are references to words that were used with regard to the Sabbath and creation. And these terms, bless and declare it holy, are used not only in the creation story in Genesis, but also in the Ten Commandments. And the Baker Encyclopedia says, bless is the language of giving, while declare holy is the language of claiming. When something is blessed by God, it becomes a way for him to generously give to his people. It's expression of his love and adoration for his people. And when God declares something holy, he is claiming it for himself. He's taking it out of its ordinary use, 
whether it be a place or a day, an animal that's used for a sacrifice. And he's declaring that thing special, set aside for a specific use. So this gives us more insight into God's design in the way that he meant for us to observe the Sabbath. When we think of Sabbath, it means that we are freed up from our everyday work, from all of those hours that we spend doing the work that's required of us, whether it's outside of the home or inside of the home. So we should accept the seventh day or the day that we set aside as a Sabbath as a blessing from God that helps us to think about his goodness in creation and for us to have a chance to praise him for it. When we look at the Sabbath as a day that's set aside, it's a reminder that all time is a gift from God and that we should acknowledge that when we take the Sabbath, that we are giving back to God a part of what is his already. There's a second aspect to the Bible's teaching on Sabbath. Creation is the first, and there's also this idea of redemption, which is featured in the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath law in Exodus is also mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. But here, there is more commentary offered on this idea of Sabbath. And it says, you shall remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out thence with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So when the commandment to keep the Sabbath was given in Exodus, it was addressed to all of Israel, to all men as created beings. When it's mentioned in Deuteronomy for the second time, it's directed to Israel as God's people who are redeemed by the work that he did. The Sabbath is not only pointing to God's goodness to all of men as their creator, but also shows his mercy towards the people that he chose to be the redeemer over. We can often look at this idea of God resting from his work as something that seems odd, or maybe it comes as a surprise to you that God rested from his work. Why would God need to rest? He's not a human like us. He doesn't have the same physical demands for rest like we do. But this is the picture that's painted in Exodus 31 and 17, where the Lord tells Moses how he was refreshed by his day of rest. And I'm going to read that verse. It says, therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God is showing us something very crucial about rest, that if he can be refreshed by it, how much more are we refreshed by the rest that we receive here on earth. So when we read the Bible, we often have this picture of God as the divine creator who is one who participates in manual labor. And this example of God working helps us to see that we also have to follow this pattern of working and rest that's laid out for us by God. So this one day of rest out of seven is built in into creation for us. 
not just for us individually, but for our families and our households and even the animals. We see this in the Old Testament that Sabbath was for everyone. Even the land had to rest for specific periods of time. And so the Sabbath law was included in the Ten Commandments. And this is something very important to take note of. God spoke these instructions to Moses about the Sabbath law. It was written by his finger on the tablets through Moses and placed in the tabernacle in the Ark of the Covenant, which was the heart of Israel's worship. So it elevated this commandment, keeping the Sabbath holy and observing it. So it doesn't matter if it's Sunday or, you know, there's a lot of arguments about what day is the Sabbath actually. It doesn't matter what day it is, but we are under obligation to accept that there is a day that we need to set aside for the Sabbath out of our weekly rhythm. God requires man to observe a regular weekly break from work. And Sabbath is a way of life that sets us free from a sort of slavery to our own efforts and our working and our striving. It reminds us that we are not the ones on who everything depends. So how can you live out this biblical principle that seems absent from most believers' lives today? If you go and ask anyone, do you observe Sabbath on a regular basis? They may look at you a little odd like, That's not something that we do anymore, but it is something that we really need to stop and pause and think about how we can work it into our lives. So Sabbath biblically is a day once a week when we do not work. The scripture says six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work. Also, there was a year once every seven years when God's people would not plant seed, they would not prune their vines, they would not store up the harvest. And so you may wonder how, they probably wonder this, how are we going to eat in the seventh year if God is commanding for us not to plant seeds or to prune or to harvest as we usually do? And God, as he always does, in his countercultural wisdom, said, I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. God made provision for his people that even though they would take a Sabbath, they would take time off, they would not suffer because of their lack of work. Think about Chick-fil-A. They close every single Sunday. But does that affect their bottom line? No, because the owner decided that his business model was going to be that they were going to trust God for that one day that they were closed. It's a prime example of how Sabbath can work in our lives. We can trust God when we think we're going to lack because we're not striving or working or doing what we think we need to do to be productive. God says, trust me instead. It's a reminder that all effort doesn't revolve around us. God alone is the giver of all good gifts and blessing. Writer and theologian Dallas Willard, who I've learned a lot about Sabbath keeping from, said, Very practically, Sabbath is simply casting your cares upon him to find that, in actual fact, 
he cares for you. It is using of the keys of the kingdom to receive the resources for abundant living and ministering. So for a lot of us, Sabbath won't be possible without time where we schedule solitude and silence, time to put the work aside and just be with God. So Dallas Willard had this idea that Sabbath must include time alone with God, time when you are not in contact with others, where you're not caught up in the busyness of life. He would say that you would go somewhere outdoors or indoors, if you like, where there is no temptation to do work, where you do not take your work with you, even if it's a Bible study you're working on or sermon prep. It's just time alone to be with God, whether it's an afternoon walking out in the beach or nature or sitting in a comfortable room or in your yard. He said that's a good way to start. And this should become a weekly practice. And you may have to start with just an hour a day during your Sabbath and build up. But he stresses the importance of building solitude into your Sabbath day, your Sabbath He was envisioning that your Sabbath is not a time where you go to the mall and shop all day, shop till you drop, you know, and then go to dinner after. But it's a time really to draw away from the busyness and to commune with God. And then he suggested that you move up to a day where you can perhaps go to a retreat to be alone, Um, maybe even for a whole weekend, just as your schedule Permits. And this thought is a scary one for us. How do we draw away from our work and our obligations for regular time with God? But again, we have to build in that trust factor, believing that God will take care of our obligations and things that we can take care of as we take a Sabbath. He built this into our lives so we can trust Him with the results. So we have to stay away from the temptation to get God to do something and fill up our time as as we're with him on Sabbath. Our goal is not to fill up our time with God, but simply just to be. The command of the Sabbath is do no work. In response to that, you have to make space for God to speak into your life. Learn that you don't have to do or to be with God, accept the grace of doing nothing. That's what Dallas Willard says. So you have to stay quiet, calm yourself before God and accept the gift of Sabbath. So I'm going to leave you with one last quote from Dallas Willard. He says, solitude, well-practiced will break the power of busyness, haste, isolation, and loneliness. You will see that the world is not on your shoulders after all. You will find yourself and God will find you in new ways. Joy and peace will begin to bubble up within you and arrive from things and events around you. Praise and prayer will come to you and from within you. The soul anchor established in solitude will remain solid when you return to your ordinary life with others. So my challenge to you is to work Sabbath into your weekly routine. And it may sound scary and you may say, oh Lord, how am I going to do this? But you can follow Chick-fil-A's model. Look, 
they trusted God and they are taken care of. So you can trust God with whatever you have to take care of and draw away for Sabbath time with the Lord. So if you do this, let me know. I would love to hear the results of you working some Sabbath time into your weekly schedule. Love to hear testimonies of how your life has unfolded once you do this. So I pray that you were encouraged by this message and not discouraged. This was not to be a discouragement if you have not established a time of Sabbath. Simply encouragement to accept the gift of Sabbath that God has given us. So that's it for this episode of Unfolding Words. Thank you for joining me today. I will see you here next week. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.